So today, before I picked up my mother and sister, you know how much how expensive footballs are these days? Because I go in there, I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to buy a quick football and out, and then I start staring at them and everything. But this is supposedly NFL size and uh, got NFL on it. But what is a fumble in football? Loss of control. The person who is in possession of the ball has now lost control of it before being tackled, scoring a, a goal, you know, crossing into to the end zone, or stepping out of bounds. Because any of those, you can drop it when you get out of bounds. You can throw it down. I guess you get in trouble for it these days. You throw it down too much. Uh, it doesn't happen every game, but it does happen. And there are great videos that I did not select this year uh, to have you look at those. But uh, the New York Jets for the uh, 2023 season hold the record for the most. Because you can fumble it yourself and then recover it and maintain possession. But these are those who have truly fumbled it and lost possession. And they have lost it 17 times. And I think they only play, they play 18 games these days. How many? 17? Whatever. They used to play like 15, didn't they? How many did we play in high school? Nine? Eight. Well, according to what school you went to, three? Yeah. Okay. Uh, the Chiefs have fumbled and lost possession 11 times, and the 49ers only six. So I don't know if that's a foreshadowing of what happens today. But holding on to and advancing the football are essentials for the game. So too it is for Christians advancing, holding on to, and then sharing the love of Christ. So I wrote love on this football. This is the love football. I'll start over here, catch it. You drop it, you fumble it. Pass it around, and you just keep playing around with it, and just don't hang on to it. So whenever I say fumble for the last time in this message, that person, whoever recovers it, can keep it themselves. I thought about having you write your names on it, but then it'd get all gooey, and you'd, you'd get, you know, like magic marker or Sharpie on your shirt. So um, keeping the love that Jesus has for us in your heart and advancing that gospel message, advancing that love, is essential for building the kingdom. Some of you may have to calm down for playing too much with the ball. <laughs> Don't fumble his love is the title today, fumbled love. As we return to breakfast on the beach, going back to John 21, Jesus has shared, he's prepared, he prepared a meal for them. And I think that's, there's so much in that message itself, you know, Jesus fixing breakfast for me, for you. And they're done eating, and he calls Peter aside. But yet, and commentators are all over on this, he, I am sure that the disciples knew what was going on. In fact, some say, most assuredly, he asked them these questions in their presence because he needed to restore or restate, or at least forgive, if you will, Peter for his denials. So he will ask him three times, do you love me? And three times, Peter will respond. That's obviously very reminiscent of the three denials with now three confessions that I love you. There are variations in the words that are used, and I'll talk about some of that briefly but it concludes with Jesus saying, or the reading that I'll go to today, concludes with that same type of statement that he made when he first called Peter and the other disciples, follow me, follow me. You know, of course, in Matthew and in Luke, I have to look at this in Mark or not. 
he wants to make them fishers of men. So he's come off of this fishing story, had breakfast, and now we go back to John 21, picking up at verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, he gives him his full name, doesn't call him Peter. In fact, he says, Simon, son of John, or you may have Jonah in King James. And I be careful if I get into trying to speak Spanish, but, you know, there are multiple ways to say the same name in different languages. But he is saying, you are the son of John. Do you truly love me more than these? NIV says truly because the Greek word here is agape. It's that, you know, the three types of love. You've heard sermons like this your whole life if you've been in church. Agape love, which is really more a divine love. Philo love, philos, is a brotherly, sisterly love. Later translators of Greek say it is actually a word that could be used for kiss. And then there is that erotic type love, that more sexual connotation of love. But three times he will say, I love you, and he will use different words. So now he said, do you love me? And he says, do you love me more than these? And I want to pause for just a second because there's so much in here, and I'm going to try to get us out of here by 12 because I know the smell of popcorn in the back seems to have permeated into the building. Do you love me more than these? As in, do you love me more than these six guys that you've been fishing with? Or, or do you love me more than they love me? Because there's different ways to look at that sentence. Do you love me more than these? Love me more than these six? Or are you a better lover of me than these six? Or because they've gone back to fishing, some guys, commentators, will say, do you love me more than these? As he's looking at the, the boats and the nets, do you love me more than going back to fishing? Peter says, yes, Lord. He said, you know that I love you. And he uses that brotherly, sisterly love, philo. He does not use the agape word. Jesus says, feed my lambs. He uses the word for lamb. It'll change in these three responses to babies. Feed my baby lambs, baby sheep. Verse 16, again, Jesus says to Simon, says, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? Agape once again, do you love me with divine love? All encompassing, all forgiving. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He uses the secondary form of love, philos. Jesus says, take care of my sheep. In other words, give them direction, give order for them. 17, the third time he says to Simon, son of John, do you love me? And now he uses the same word that Peter's been using to him. Do you philo me? Well, he's been saying that all along. So when he hears that, Peter's hurt. I mean, hopefully your spouse never says to you in that hurting way, do, do you love me? He's hurt. In fact, one Greek translator, because I, I use a lot of the Greek and I have to look at all the resources, what it really means, same type of hurt that a woman has when she's having a baby. Some of you ought to go, oh, that really hurt. That Jesus would ask him, do you love me? Yes, yes, Lord, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Is that a cop-out answer? I don't think so. I think he is saying, Lord, 
You know this. You know the answer. Jesus says, feed my sheep. Some will, different translations between the second one of take care of my sheep. Some will say pastor, pasture, as in not pastor, but preacher, as in send them out to pastor. Pastor, yeah, send them out in the grass. I tell you the truth. And here it like immediately jumps into a different, I mean, if you're reading this along, he's been asking him about his love and do this if you love me. And then he flips around and gives us a parable that some of you know, because if you've grown older, or if you're older, you know that you can't do the same things you used to do when you're 16 or 18. And he says to Peter, I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you watched. I worked in a nursing home my senior year of college. There were four people I had to get up every day. I had to dress them, put them in their wheelchair, and roll them out to breakfast. One had been an English professor at my university. I cleaned his glasses off every morning. He couldn't speak. He says to Peter, this is the way it's going to be for you. When you're young, you dress yourself. And when you, you went where you wanted, but when you're old, you'll stretch out your hand. Your hands is plural because some will say this is alluding to the crucifixion and how Peter would die. Someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus, and this is like John jumping back into commentating on the inspired word that he's giving. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Pray with me, please. Father, as we talk today about uh, fumbled love, and I know it's a football analogy, but Lord, I think we do fumble your love quite frequently. We've been given the opportunity to advance the kingdom your kingdom, but yet we drop the ball of love. Today, forgive us for that. And if it requires us thinking about becoming old and no longer being able to do the things that we wish, I pray that whatever we do, at whatever age, young or old, we would do thy will. Remind us that you called us to love one another. Instead that we would be known as your followers by our love, not by our judgment, not by our condemnation, not by our insincerity or piousness that cast others aside. Help us to love as we have been loved. In this hour, speak to our hearts and help us to never fumble your love again. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Wednesday is Valentine's Day, so I'll go ahead and make my refuel plug. You know, guys, spend a lot of money on your wives and take them to refuel on Wednesday night, 6.30. You can give all that money you want to in the offering plate today. You can give it to the church. Give it to Gideon's and say, baby, I bought you the most expensive meal because I gave a gazillion dollars, and we're going to go Wednesday night, have a meal here. It'll be a great time. But I, I remember Valentine's Day as a kid. Do you? Did, and, and I meant to ask Allison and some of the others, Julie, others of you that are here, I could ask you guys that are teachers, do the kids still give Valentine's cards to each other? No? Yeah, elementary, yes. Oh, they buy candy? Nice. I do remember those little hearts that would say like, you know, you're cute. I saved all those, taped them to my shirt. No, I didn't. 
I love you. But I, I can remember giving cards, and you gave cards to not just the people you really were close to, but you gave them to everybody in class. In fact, I think they encouraged that because, you know, we're trying to teach, love one another. And I remember the, the shoe boxes that we were told to, you know, like decorate. And I think one year we ran out of construction paper or whatever. I think I'm covering mine in tin foil. Maybe that thing was bling bling, you know. But as I just heard over here, it stops by a certain age. Taught early in life to love one another. By the time you get to junior high or high school, your love seems to be somewhat restrained. Sadly, the habit of sharing love with everyone often ends early in life and develops into restraints of our love. And that's our first point today, restrained love. Restrained love. Preachers and theologians have read a lot into this recommission and restating of Peter, his forgiveness of you. Why does Peter not respond with agape when Jesus says, do you agape me? Peter says, I follow you. And, and if you really wanted to get into a big biblical uh, research project, it'd be a great one. I will just tell you, they still have, they being commentators, there's still a multitude of ways the two words that I'm referring to, agape and philo, are used interchangeably at points in John. You will see that Jesus loves agape love to uh, Mary and Lazarus and Martha. And also you'll see that the people who are watching him say, see how he loved him. And they use the philo word. So in the Gospels, they can be interchanged. They're both obviously very sincere, devout love. But why does he, I mean, and that's, that's something to ponder if you're looking at these short verses I've read. Why does he change the word he uses for sheep? Why does he go, my lambs, to then my sheep? And why does he say, feed them at some point? And sometimes he says, control them at another point. Well, I think, as we often do, we start focusing on all the outside stuff. And it's like those out, uh, all-state commercials with mayhem. You see those guys driving along, they start looking at everything else, and they rear end the person in front of them because they forgot to focus on what was important. And I think the focal point of these verses, not that I'm dismissing the importance of researching that and studying that, but Jesus says over and over, these are my lambs, my sheep, my, my, my. Feed my sheep if you love me, not yours. Not only the ones that you want to give Valentine's Day cards to. Not only to the ones that you want to love, feed, or care for. Jesus says, my sheep. If you love me, feed my sheep. Care for my sheep. Take my sheep to the pasture, not your sheep only. Restrain love, which we often practice, excludes the love of Christ for those who don't look like us, vote like us, hear me as I say that, dress like us, speak like us, reside like us where we live, or think like us. That's restrained love. The staff knows that I have sent this email around. I've been troubled this week uh, with a small debate that's going on between, and I'll try to say to my notes on this because I don't want to say anything 
beyond it. If you want to talk more after the service, I'd be glad to. Or if you want me to send you some of these articles, I'd like to do that with you. But there's been a debate going on between, hear me, conservative evangelical Christians over advice one pastor gave to a grandmother. And I'm going to keep them anonymous, so if you don't know these, it's not so much about who did it or who said it or who's against it or who's for it. It's the very issue that I want to talk to you about. It started when this prominent pastor was challenged by a grandmother on what to do and asking for counseling when her son was marrying, or grandson was marrying a transgender person. And when he asked this grandmother if this grandson knew that she was a believer, she said yes. And when he asked, do you try to display the love of Jesus in all that you do? And she said yes. And after two or three more questions about her love for Jesus and her love for her grandson, he suggested, he didn't tell her she had to, he suggested you might attend the wedding. Furthermore, he said you might consider giving a gift. He said anything else might fail to model the love that Christ had for the tax collector, for the prostitute, for the adulterous woman, and for all those who their sin did not matter to him. He revealed only the love of the Father that came for them through him. Well, that launched a firestorm, as you can imagine. Conservative evangelical theologians, pastors, some preachers declaring absolutely not to attend such a wedding, such a union, is to endorse that action. Another theologian I read said, the answer's easy, no. And I stepped back for a second and I thought, then you've never struggled with that issue. For those of you who have had struggled with similar questions, either through your own children friends of yours, their children, or others, you will know it is not an easy answer. One Christian commentator said that this has undoubtedly caused a fracture that we did not even know existed within the conservative evangelical community because now they're turning on each other. The pastor who gave the advice said that it was for a specific situation, and he's not willing to apologize, repent, or retract his statement. Let me pause. Now that your minds are all spinning up, where's Cliff going with this? Yeah, what's he going to talk about next? How is he applying that to restrained love? How often have you refused to apologize, to repent, or to retract something that your actions have caused pain, suffering, and have caused you to fumble the love of Christ. You have restricted the love of Christ by loving those that you think are yours. He says, love my sheep. You fumbled his love. You failed to advance the kingdom because you thought Jesus said, feed my sheep, Cliff's sheep, your sheep. He says, feed my sheep, as in my sheep that I've come for. Let's go this direction. You can go to Mexico. I had Saul for a second there. He's, he, he's not the only one. He's just my go-to guy for looking at it. He's not the only one who takes Mexico missions. We have others. 
but uh, you can go to Mexico, and I know we've talked about going to the Philippines. I think go, to go see Rain as he's been handing out those Bibles be a wonderful trip that uh, if you need me to come back in a year and just carry somebody's suitcases, I wouldn't mind going to the Philippines and hand out Bibles. You say, I do all that, but I'm not going to go to my neighbor's house and speak Jesus of them because fill in the blank they voted for. If that hurts, it should. But we get that way in our society. Well, I know they voted for him because they had those signs in their front yard. That guy's an idiot. Like I said, fill in the blank. I'm not giving you. <laughs> I would not want to be a politician. Preacher's close enough I mean, in some ways. You know, got to make everybody want to like you, not necessarily. You say, I give money to the Gideons today. Man, I gave some money to the Gideons. But don't ask me to help that panhandler down at 1604 in Bandera because I know they drive a better car than me. Fumble. You fumbled the love of God once again. Or I love my kids and my grandkids, and I make sure they have two or three of anything that they need. But I don't want to do another toy drive, another food drive, another humanitarian effort. They get old. Fumble. You fumbled God's love once again. Hold on to his love. Share his love. I always talk in movies. Gene Hackman, Kino... I can never say his first name. Keith, you know, Reeves, you know, Matrix. Um, but this is called The Replacements. And Gene Hackman says, winners want the ball. Christians have been given the gospel ball of love, and you are to carry it forward. Don't fumble God's love. And man, I am getting long-winded. I'm so sorry. I, I'll try to try to on this. Unrestrained love. After restrained love is unrestrained love. Like the feed my sheep discourse, there are multiple interpretations of verses 18 and 19. Um, was it a last-minute insert from John uh, because he knew how Peter would die? Maybe it was a retelling of an old proverb, you know, when you're young, you do what you want. When you're old, they had to lead you to go someplace. No doubt, um, we do get our freedoms restrained as we get older. Um, you may not be able to drive because, well, it's kind of crazy to drive in San Antonio anyway. But your eyesight goes, your hearing goes. You can't run and jump like you used to. You know, in my memory, I probably was a really fast guy. I never was. <laughs> my dad always said, you run really hard, you just stay too long in the same place. <laughs> that was one illustration when I played football. He said, man, you're really running hard. It's just you're not going anywhere. And then he would often say when I played baseball and I was running the bases, you know, after hitting the ball, he'd go, you run like you're dragging a piano. <laughs> and then I met a... A captain in Okinawa, I'm sorry, I'm on a sideline, here we go. I met this captain, and he was prior service, and uh, I just liked him. We got along really well, and he's about my height, but, I mean, big as I am, but much more soft. I may be a little Pillsbury Doughboy these days, but, I mean, he had the big arms. He said, Chapman Perry, he said, you like this Air Force running? I said, no, sir, I do not. He said, you know what? I said, what? He goes, we're not quarter horses, me and you. We're Clydesdales. You want something moved, call us. You want something pulled, call us. He said, but if you want it fast, call somebody else. So anyway, we're, we're out of that pie in the sermon. Because when you get older, those things start failing you. I know that I'm not as strong as I used to be. Some of you know that you're getting sand in your hair or whatever. You perhaps can't do it the way you used to do. Some of you are fumbling that ball right now as I see it go back across the aisle. When we talk about Peter, in fact, there are numerous, numerous things that are used here. In the Catholic Church, this is often one of the ways that they have used it. Uh, Peter, the line of succession from Peter is control over the church. Uh, the hand stretched out is another reference to perhaps how he was crucified. Uh, historical documentation is a little rough. Uh, he was 
most agree he was uh, crucified in 64 uh, in Rome by the emperor. Uh, some say they blamed the, the fire in Rome on him. I don't know. Uh, and some say he was done upside down because he didn't want to be crucified like the Lord. But regardless, let me say this to you. This is a firsthand account. And John is writing because he knows things from God and from being there that we don't. That 153 fish last week, that's a firsthand detail. Not an encrypted message on, you know, the first month, fifth day of the third year, that kind of stuff. I suggest that when we think about fumbling love, Peter told Jesus, and this is why it hurt, I am loving you the only way and is with all the power I can. He's confessing, if it's not enough, I'm doing all I can. And Jesus is saying, I love you, follow me. Just keep loving me. So you see this restoration in this section. But Peter's love was unbridled. It, would un, it was unrestrained. If you know Acts 10, Peter has the vision that, that says then, all are welcome to come to the Lord, not just the Jew, but the Gentile alike, all those who will believe in the Lord and do what's right. So he is understanding this unrestraining love to love one another. But yet, we often fumble our love. Unrestrained love calls us to love our enemies. Unrestrained love calls us to love our neighbors as ourselves. Unrestrained love calls us to love one another and be known by our love, not by divisiveness, not by conceit, not by spiritual arrogance or judgment, but by love. What do you do when somebody fumbles? Has anybody dropped the ball yet? Is anybody truly? <laughs> oh, I don't want to go this way. Then we'll have, you know, everybody went to it. Remember when you played football, they had drills. They'd throw the football out, and everybody dives on it and that kind of thing. Well, i got to use the great Bear Bryant as my closing illustration. Bear Bryant, before, you know, he coached at Alabama. Before Alabama, I guess he coached at Kentucky, those of you who are Bear Bryant, you know, historians. And he told the story, which has been retold, and, you know, enough that perhaps it is true. He said there was a fumble near the Kentucky sidelines. And as the scramble went to get the football, some of the players, and you know, if you're standing on the sideline, you have to kind of stay back. Somebody kicked over a basket of balls, of footballs, and seven footballs went out onto the field. Tennessee recovered four of them. Kentucky recovered three of them. And the refs gave the ball to Tennessee. Four Four were over three. And the moral of the story, he says, and I get it exactly from him, when the ball comes bouncing your way, grab it. Seize the opportunity. Winners want the ball. Christians who are following Christ want to share his love. Love all. Love like Jesus. Love unrestrained. And when you fumble, seize the chance to pick it back up and advance his kingdom. Stand with me, please, now as we pray. Fathers, we come to a time of invitation. Help us to focus on how we love you, how you have loved us, and how we are to love one another. Let us be known by our love, not by our judgment, not by our condemnation, not by simply acts of obedience, but acts of love. If there's one here today, Lord, who's never received your forgiveness, never 
experience the love that comes to us through the Son, Jesus. We pray that this would be the day to admit that they're sinners, to admit that they have fallen short of your glory, and that only through your Son, through faith and belief in him, they might have life everlasting. Perhaps there's someone who wants to come to the altar and pray. Lord, now is the time to do so in this service. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.